All right, you can come on back. Um, again, if you have not grabbed a communion uh, cup on your way in or you haven't grabbed one yet, we've got them circling. So just raise your hand. Does everybody have a, have a communion cup? We're good? Okay. Sounds good. Uh, so Cyril uh, Gordon has been here um, multiple years, and he j- just does an amazing job outlining what happens at the Passover and the symbolism behind it. And he just does an incredible job in incorporating humor and all that stuff. And just such a great communicator. So Cyril, why don't you come on up? We're so blessed to have you. Let's war- warmly welcome him here. Thank you, sir. Um, yeah, we're, we're excited. So take us away. Thank you, brother. All right. What a joy to be back here. Uh, For me, this is a time of refreshing coming from uh, Los Angeles, a.k.a. Gamora. I get to have some great fellowship, play golf, have some good food, and do seders. Uh, Coming from a Jewish background, I was born in France, grew up in San Francisco, and uh, Uh, We were the only Jews in an Italian Catholic neighborhood. Uh, But my brother and I got along with the the guys because we were good at sports, and uh, they had the best sports leagues. Uh, Went to, had my bar mitzvah at 13, and then went to UC Santa Barbara, uh, where I studied art. I was a fine artist. I did painting. Was heavy in the party scene, but then got sick of it by my sophomore year, and I said, there's got to be more to life than that. Started searching, and of course, I went where we're not supposed to go, Eastern religion. The uh, the Lord commands the Jewish people. He warns us about going the way of the East. So that's where we go. (laughs) Anyway, dabbled in that for a while, then uh, got back to my Jewish roots, became an Orthodox Jew from 89 to 93. I had this uh, encounter with God in the desert, a vision of a roadway to heaven guarded by two angels, and then a vision of Jesus, which was shocking to me because I wasn't crying out to Jesus. I was crying out to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jesus shows up. Well, that got me looking into Jesus, and so I, I, I grabbed every book I could find. I watched uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. I went to my rabbi, and I, I, I was so desperate, I even went to psychics and channelers to find out who this Jesus is, even though that's forbidden, right? But I was desperate. Uh, but thank God, the Lord finally brought me to a true Christian, uh, right here, actually, in San Luis Obispo. My brother was going to Cal Poly, and he was renting from this woman who was a Christian, a true Christian, and uh, I met her while I was down here. And there was something special about her. Uh, she had a spiritual peace that I didn't have. And I'm supposed to be a Levite and a Cohen, you know, from the, the priestly class of Jews. And I looked at her Bible, and she had the Old Testament in it. And I was like, what is this Gentile doing with my Bible? And it was all outlined, and I could tell she'd read it quite a bit. And uh, I was very intrigued. And uh, she shared the gospel with me that night. I went back to San Francisco, and... Uh, Two weeks later, I get a whole box of books from this Christian uh, about the real Jesus, Uh, a Bible, uh, some books by Josh McDowell, evident that the man's a verdict. And I was not against looking into Jesus. So I read, I read, I checked it out. 
And then a five-page letter, and I'm like, oh, yeah. I think she has a crush on me. <laughs> I don't know if she did or not, but the letter was pointing me to Jesus. She saw that I was thirsting for living water. And I thank God for her because through those books, uh, one of them, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, I, uh, I discovered who Jesus really is. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just a troublemaker. He's not just an ascendant master. He is God in the flesh. Amen. And he paid for my sins. And I knew I was a sinner. That wasn't a problem. I was an Orthodox Jew. We're face to face with it every day. And uh, uh, so I accepted him as my Lord and Savior in 1993 in San Francisco. Believe it or not, people do get saved in San Francisco. <laughs> And um, I found the spiritual peace I was looking for. A heavy darkness lifted from my life. I'm sure some demons got kicked out. And the Lord put me on the fast track to uh, evangelism. Uh, and right away I was, I was uh, you know, put to work and uh, discipled. Uh, I sold everything, moved to Hawaii. You know, that's where, Jews gets, uh, that's where God sends Jews to get discipled. I studied in uh, Hawaii for two years at a church I was uh, plugged into and then sold everything and moved to Israel and did evangelism out there for two years. Then came back to the States, got married uh, to my wife, who's uh, Jewish from Brooklyn, which means she's extra Jewish. <laughs> and uh, we joined an international ministry that reaches out to the Jewish people. And uh, we were there for 19 years, and then the Lord moved me to this uh, small ministry uh, for four years, and it's been unbelievable, and I'll, I'll show you later. But we did Passover every year, uh, and uh, it was done because it was tradition. But my uncle who did it didn't even believe the story. He thought it was myths. But now as a child of God, reconciled with my God, this holiday is alive, rich with meaning. And uh, like the biblical holidays that were given to my Hebrew people, they are given to remind us of who God is and what he's done. Because God knows how apt we are to forget and get complacent. In case you don't know, Jesus uh, and the disciples observed the Seder. We believe that was the Last Supper. And we believe that about half of what I'm going to show you today, they actually did at the Last Supper. The other half are traditions that came later. Now, Jesus used this holiday to bring us the communion and to usher in the new covenant. And so uh, we're going to take a look into that today. Uh, Passover happens in April every year. It's a seven-day holiday that revolves around leaven. Okay, leaven in the Bible is often symbolic of sin because just as it's used to puff up cakes, cookies, and breads, sin puffs us up with pride, which separates us from God. And we're commanded to not eat leaven for a whole week. In fact, we can't even have any leaven in our house. The only bread source we can eat is matzah, unleavened bread. And we get very creative with this. And to have the Seder, the first night of Passover, you cannot have any leaven in your house. And Jesus knew this. What did he say in Luke chapter 22? 
the word of God says, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Verse seven, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. What did he mean? It means go to where we're going to have the Passover and make sure there is no leaven in there. You have to sweep that place probably 10 times. Make sure there's no breadcrumbs. You see, before you can have a Seder, you've got to do a major cleaning in your house. It, it's the time of year when you clean your house and you clean areas that you don't normally do the rest of the year, like under the fridge, under the couch pillows, wherever a breadcrumb could be hiding. And you're supposed to take all your cakes, cookies, and breads and take them and burn them. Uh, if you go to Israel, especially Jerusalem, before the Passover, it's not unusual to smell burnt toast in the air because families are taking their breads and cakes and cookies and having a bread bonfire at the park. But here in America, they don't do that so much. Most Jewish families will bag up their cakes and cookies and breads and give them to their Gentile neighbors to hold till after the Passover. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my grandma just bagged it all and stuck it in the freezer downstairs. But we're supposed to burn it. Once the house is ready for the Passover, the whole family comes over. The head of the house is going to put on his prayer shawl or talis. You ever been to a synagogue or a bar mitzvah? You'll see the men wearing these. Uh, you'll see they have tassels on the corners. These are a commandment to my Jewish people to wear these, to remind us of the covenant we made with God at Mount Sinai. It goes over your shoulder like this. But instead of wearing the usual yarmulke or skull cap as a sign of respect to God, the night of Passover, the man of the house is going to wear something a little more elaborate, symbolic of a crown. Because the night of Passover, the man of the house is the king of the house. And in a Jewish family, it's the only night of the year that he's king of the house. <laughs> and as the king of the house, he's going to guide his family through the traditional Passover Seder. Seder means order, because there's an order to this using four cups of fruit of the vine and a Seder plate that has six different food items that are going to help us tell the story of Passover. And he's going to do so using this book called a Haggadah, which means the telling, because it's all about telling a story, the story out of the end of the book of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. Capiche? And the evening will begin with the lighting of candles. And this is the honor and duty of the oldest woman in the house. She will light the candles. Like that. And she will welcome God's presence, the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, like doing this. And it's appropriate that the woman of the house light the candles because the Bible is very clear in the book of Genesis that it would be through a woman that the Messiah would come. And who is the Messiah but the light of the world? Once the candles are lit, the head of the house will move over to the first cup, the cup of sanctification. This sets the night apart from all the other nights. He will hold it like this and say a Hebrew prayer that goes like this. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Boreh Amen. 
which translates into, blessed are you, O Lord our God, king of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine, and everyone will partake of the first cup, the cup of sanctification. After that, he's going to move over to the Seder plate, and he's going to start to tell the story of Passover. It starts with Jacob, the patriarch of the Jewish people. You know, that's what makes someone Jewish, is if they're a descendant of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, or Jacob. And he had 12 sons, and he lived in the land of Canaan, which is the promised land of Israel. And he wasn't shy about letting everyone know who his favorite son was, one of the youngest named Joseph. And this was very annoying to the older brothers. And at a time when the older brothers were out taking care of the flock, Jacob sent Joseph to go and keep an eye on them. And when he found them, the older brothers saw him coming, and they knew he was sent to spy on them. And so they were really annoyed. And during a time of frustration, they grabbed him and sold him to some slave traders and some traders that were on their way to Egypt a couple hundred miles away. And then they lied to Jacob and said, poor Joseph was killed by a wild animal and is no more. Jacob went into deep, deep mourning and would not be consoled. If that wasn't bad enough for poor Joseph, being sold as a slave to Egypt, faithfully served his master, and after a couple years, the master's wife falsely accused him, and he was sent to prison for life. But God was with Joseph, and he gave him the gift of interpreting dreams. And it wasn't long before the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, the most powerful man of that day, had a, these dreams that tormented him. And none of his psychics or sorcerers could interpret these dreams. But he soon heard of Joseph's gift of interpreting dreams. And he called him out of prison and asked him, can you interpret these dreams that are tormenting me? And Joseph said, no, can't do it. But my God can. And sure enough, he did. The dreams were prophetic. They foretold of seven years of abundance, followed by seven years of worldwide famine. Pharaoh saw that God was with Joseph, and he made him his right-hand man, put him in charge of all the grain of Egypt. And God gave Joseph wisdom to stash away 20% of all the grain that came in during the seven years of plenty. For sure enough, when the eighth year hit, famine hit, not only in Egypt, but all over. And it wasn't long before peoples from all over were coming to Egypt to buy the stored grain so that they don't perish. Well, who shows up after a couple years? Joseph's brothers. Jacob sent them to Egypt to buy grain. They were starving. And there they were before their brother, Joseph. And guess what? They didn't recognize him. But Joseph recognized them. And when Joseph realized they didn't recognize who he was, he decided to make them sweat a little bit. And he got them into some trouble. But he couldn't hold himself and eventually confessed and said, I am Joseph, before his brothers. What was the reaction? They were horrified. <laughs> They were horrified. Their little brother who they betrayed is now the right-hand man of Egypt. He could squish them in a second. But there's a wonderful reconciliation and forgiveness. 
Pharaoh hears of this and he has favor on uh, Joseph's family and he invites Jacob and the whole clan to come and dwell in Egypt in the land of Goshen. Jacob hears of this and rejoices and praises God that Joseph lives and he finds out he has a couple grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh. God shows Jacob that it's okay to go to Egypt because one day God will bring you back to the promised land. So the Hebrew people uh, all move to Egypt and there they prosper and multiply so much so that when the new Pharaoh takes over later on, he decides to deal shrewdly with the Hebrew people and make us slaves. And we're not talking about 10, 20 years of slavery. We're talking a couple hundred years of hard, bitter bondage. And we remember this as we lift up the first item of the Seder plate, fresh parsley, symbolic of life. And it's dipped in salt water, symbolic of tears. And we make tears to remind us that a life of slavery is a life filled with tears. After that, we move over to the second item, a horseradish root. This is a very bitter root. It's a visual reminder of the bitterness of life as a slave. Then we go to the third item, my favorite, fresh ground horseradish. Now we're supposed to eat a whole teaspoon of this stuff. You know what happens when you do that? Usually you cry. In fact, I cannot proceed with this Passover Seder presentation unless we have three brave souls here that are gutsy enough to try the horseradish. Come on, there's got to be some brave souls here. Who can come? come on up, my man. There's one. I need two more. Come on up. Come on up. All right, let's give them a hand. Stand right here and face the, face the crowd. All right. I knew it. I knew there were some brave souls here. Now, I thought since my Lord is merciful, I'd be merciful and let him have it with some matzah. Is that okay with you guys? <laughs> All right, let's set you up here. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's for you. Now, don't eat it yet. We're all going to take it together. Okay. Yeah, not yet, not yet. Not <laughs> yet. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there you go. Okay. Thank God for these brave souls. I knew, I knew I can find brave souls here. All right. Now, this is supposed to be the taste of slavery. Before they partake, though, does anyone know the prayer for last rites? <laughs> okay, squish together. All right, there you go. Okay, on three, everybody. Ready? One, two, three. Very good. Oh. Oy vey. I knew it. With the Gentiles, you got to give them two teaspoons. Well done. Incredible. Awesome. All right, let's give him a hand. 
Thank you. Thank you. Now we can proceed with the Passover Seder. Hallelujah. Good. After that, we move over to the fourth item. It's a sweet mixture of apples, honey, cinnamon, almonds. And it's supposed to remind us of the cement or mortar that we were forced to make as slaves for many years in Egypt. But why use a sweet mixture for that? Because we had the promise of God that one day he would take us back to the promised land. And that kept us going. Amen? This is called haroset. All right. After that, we move over to the fifth item, a hard-boiled brown egg. This is a tradition that came after Jesus. Brown to remind us of the color of Jerusalem stone that was used to build the temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD that was burned and destroyed by the Romans. This is a symbol of mourning to my Jewish people. It's placed over fire to remember that it was burned to the ground. But for Jews like myself, this reminds me, because I believe I've given my life to Jesus and I've accepted the new covenant, it reminds me that Jesus was 100% accurate when it came to prophecy. He prophesied that this magnificent temple that took over 40 years to make would come down and not one stone would be left on another. And that's exactly what happened. And they mocked him. They laughed at him when he prophesied this. Does anyone know why there wasn't one stone on another? That's right. There was lots of gold in that temple. And when it came down and burned to the ground, it all melted into the cracks. And hey, at what, 1,800 an ounce? I'd be moving stones too. This is called the Chagigah, a symbol of mourning for my Jewish people. Good. After that, the head of the house is going to lift up the second cup, the cup of plagues. And here we remember how God chose Moses to go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But Pharaoh said no, not just once, but 10 times. And every time he did, God had to pour out a plague on Egypt to show him he meant business. We remember these 10 plagues as the head of the house will dip his finger in the grape juice and let 10 drops fall onto his plate as the 10 plagues are remembered. Does anyone remember what the 10 plagues of Egypt were? Frogs, river to blood, flies, boils, death of the firstborn, that's five, hail to fire, six, darkness, seven, animals died except for in Goshen, eight, two more, locusts, and uh, Gnats, I think. Gnats. What's interesting about these plagues, folks, is that this was a showdown between the God of Israel and the false gods of Egypt. You see, the Egyptians used to worship the Nile River, and God made it useless, turned it to blood. The Egyptians used to worship the sun. God turned it off for three days. And while it was off, they cried out to their false god, Ra. And guess what? Nothing happened. The Egyptians used to worship the earth and, the, the, uh, and the, this, this false god named, uh, what was it called? It was called Uachit. Oh, excuse me. It was Seb. Seb was the, the earth god of Egypt. And when God turned the dust into gnats, they cried out to Seb, and guess what? There was no relief. Uh, did you know that the Pharaoh was worshipped as God in Egypt? 
and that every firstborn had to worship Pharaoh as God in Egypt. And with the last plague, death of the firstborn, God did away with Pharaoh worship in one day. All of his worshipers were gone. And that's when he said, "That's get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. And the people of Israel were set free. Some of these false gods you might recognize. Um, Horus, he was one of the Egyptian sun gods. Uh, let's see. Osiris, that was the, uh, the god tied to the Nile. And when the Nile turned to blood, they called on Osiris. And guess what? No reprieve. This was a showdown between the false gods and the God of Israel. And guess who won? The God of Israel. After this, uh, the head of the house will lift up. Oh, let's partake of the second cup. Here we partake of the second cup to remind us of how God chose Moses to deliver us from slavery and go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So we partake of the second cup, the cup of plagues. All right, now we lift up the last item of the Seder plate, the zroa or lamb bone. And here we remember God's provision to spare his people. The 10th plague was coming to Egypt to slay the firstborn. And God commanded the Hebrew people to take a one-year-old lamb or goat that was unblemished, and you had to live with this animal for four days. And after that, the poor thing had to be killed and its innocent blood placed on the doorpost of your house. For when death would visit Egypt to slay the firstborn and see the innocent blood on the house, it would pass over that house. And everyone in the house was spared the plague of death of the firstborn. That's where we get the name Passover. This also reminds us of the three food items we're supposed to eat at Passover. Unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and lamb. Who said that? Good. Unleavened bread, bitter herbs, and lamb. This also reminds us of the necessity for blood for forgiveness of sin. Leviticus 17.11, the life of a creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your soul. It's the blood that makes atonement for your soul. This is no longer taught to my Jewish people. The rabbis teach if you fast and pray on Yom Kippur once a year, you're good to go. I did that every year. I was never forgiven. God had to send a Gentile to tell me and point me to what the Bible says, that you need a blood atonement. And what did John the Baptist say when he saw Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And the day I accepted that was the best day of my life because I knew that I knew that my sins were forgiven, my shame was washed away, my guilt was washed away, and my life started. Amen? Amen. The Zroa or lamb bone. Good. Well, that's the sixth item of the Seder plate. After that, we're going to move over to this pouch right here called a matzah tosh where there's three pieces of matzah hidden away in there. But only the middle one is pulled out for everyone to see. Why there's three, nobody knows. Some rabbis say it's symbolic of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But we believe it's symbolic of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. 
Because who is the son of God? He's the aspect of God that dwelt among us that we saw. It's pulled out, broken in two, half of it's placed in a white pouch and hidden away because later on all the children are sent out to find it. They tear the house apart because they know that when it finds it, it gets a big prize, usually a good amount of money. Once it's found, everyone, it's brought back to the head of the house. Everyone rejoices. It's pulled out for everyone to see and broken up and shared with everyone. That's when the third cup, the cup of redemption, is lifted. Does this look familiar? This is where we, uh, communion comes from, because this is the cup of redemption, and Jesus is the Redeemer, capital R. Okay? Now, interesting thing about the matzah, it's unleavened, just as Jesus was without sin. It's broken, symbolic of death. It, he died for us. It's wrapped in white. He was wrapped in white linen. It's hidden away. Jesus was buried. The children are sent out to find it. God says, you must be a, as a child to know me. Once it's found, everyone rejoices. When we're found, everyone, the angels rejoice. It's pulled out of the pouch for everyone to see. Jesus rose from the dead after three days, witnessed by over 500 Jews in Jerusalem. And it's broken up and shared with everyone. He's the bread of life. Looks like the gospel message to me, folks. Amen. But my Jewish people don't see this. The rabbis, if you ask them, hey, what's the deal with hiding the matzah and the kids finding it and getting a prize? They usually say, just a game to keep the kids occupied. But we believe it's a tradition that started with the first church in Jerusalem and somehow got mixed into Main Street. So... Unfortunately, when we lift up the third cup, most of my Jewish people are not going to think of Jesus yet. They'll think of Moses and how God used him to deliver us from physical slavery. But Jesus took this and magnified it and said, now we can remember that God sent his only begotten son to set us free from spiritual slavery. You see, before I came to faith in Jesus, when sin came knocking on my door... I was like, come on in, let's party. Now I got a sign on my door that says, no soliciting. <laughs> I can say no to sin. I'm not a slave anymore. I've been set free. So all of you, it's time to take out your communion cups and hold the matzah in one hand and the grape juice in the other. And we're going to partake in communion together. And remember how the Lord has set us free from spiritual slavery. All right, where's my little wafer here? Okay, there we go. All right. And Jesus held this before his disciples, the third cup of the Passover, and said, drink this in remembrance of me, and eat this in remembrance of my body broken for you. And let's remember that he's the bread of life and that the, thanks to the Lord's the Lord Jesus' death and resurrection, we are no longer slaves to sin. Amen? Amen? You may partake. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And that's when the third cup is, we partake of the third cup the cup of redemption. Good. Well, we are in the home stretch, folks.
After this, we lift up the cup of praise or cup of hallel. That's where we get hallelujah. And we praise God to fulfill his promise to bring us back to the promised land. And we also remember the function of the Passover story, the conclusion of it was Exodus chapter 14, 31. And when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him. It was to build faith in the Hebrew people. But not only the Hebrew people, also the Egyptians. You see, when the Hebrews were, 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 were set free from physical slavery, the Pharaoh and his leaders said, what did we do? We just lost our workforce and came after them with chariots and this whole army. And guess what? The Lord destroyed them. And the word of God says in uh, Exodus 14, 4, the Lord says, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and his, all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. Those are the two functions of the whole Passover story was that the Egyptians would know that the God of Israel is the one true God and the Hebrews would put their faith in him. Good. The cup of Hallel. Before we partake of this, everyone will, will say hallelujah. So on three. One, two, three. Hallelujah. All right. So we have cup of sanctification, cup of plagues, cup of redemption, and cup of praise. Good. Well, we have one final cup we didn't talk about, the cup of Elijah. You see, my Jewish people know that before the coming of the Messiah, God would send Elijah to tell them who the Messiah is. So after the Passover Seder, the youngest child present will run to the front door, open it wide, and everyone will look and hope that Elijah will come walking in to tell them who the Messiah is. So if you're driving around town the night of Passover and you see some doors go flying open, go on in. <laughs> Have a seat. Tell them who the Messiah is. Because we know who Elijah is, right? John the Baptist, Yohanan. Jesus said of him, he is Elijah who has come to prepare the way of the Lord. Amen. All right. Well, I want to give all of you a hand for surviving a Passover Seder. Good. And before we close, I'm going to give you a quick window into my world. We got that. Where is it at? I am a uh, full-time missionary in Southern California with uh, Jewish Outreach International. Go ahead. At Venice Beach. Anyone been there? All right. So you might not know this, but Venice Beach is the second most visited place in California behind Disneyland. Thousands of people go there every day from all over the world. Go ahead. In case you haven't been there, it's right south of Santa Monica on the coast. Go ahead. This is what it looks like on an average summer day. Thousands of people just strolling up and down a walkway. Now, folks, I'm going to zip through this quickly for the sake of time. But if you want to be in the trenches, if you have a heart for local, effective evangelism, I mean, in California, you want to sign up for our praise reports in the back, and this will put you in the trenches where the action is. Go ahead. Another picture of the walkway. Go ahead. And when we go to, to Venice, it's a war zone. It's okay. We're invading the enemy camp. Venice is a place where people go to flaunt the flesh, you know, tattoos and pierces and muscles and body parts I can't mention. 
And so we go there with this scripture in 2 Corinthians. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our message to the people at Venice who are putting all their trust in the flesh and the world in the things that are temporary. Go ahead. End of the line for a lot of people, a lot of homeless, hurting people out there. Go ahead. Uh, people end up in, in L.A. from all over looking for fame and fortune and end up uh, in, in, in bondage. Go ahead. Uh, the enemy is there every day misleading souls. I was an art major. I, I graduated with uh, doing painting at UC Santa Barbara. I did really well. I showed in museums and galleries. I had an art show at Venice in 1992. And uh, I lived there on a roof for three months. And it was a time when I was searching and I was wandering up the, the walkway every day, never ran into a ministry, never ran into a Christian. But the enemy was there every day. You got the tarot card readers, go ahead. Got marijuana all over the place, go ahead. Uh, you got all the Eastern religion, Hindus and uh, uh, gurus and all that, go ahead. You got the psychics, they're there every day, go ahead. And you got all kinds of people at Venice. Uh, all kinds of people end up there, go ahead. A lot of hurting people. This guy's a Navajo Indian descent, go ahead. Go ahead. A lot of hurting people. This guy came to our table and got ministered to, go ahead. Uh, this lady, you know, it's not Halloween, she really dresses like this. Go ahead. Uh, this guy's Italian, and that's not a t-shirt he's wearing, that's a tattoo. Go ahead. Uh, if you've ever been there, you've seen, probably seen this guy, Harry Perry. He's an icon down there. He's been there for years, 40 years. And he rolls it on, he's, he's on skates and he plays guitar. He hasn't improved on that guitar in 40 years. <laughs> go ahead. Of course, you got the Hare Krishnas. Go ahead. You got this guy. Oy vey. Go ahead. Uh, you got warlocks. Go ahead. There's witches. This is not Halloween. This is how she dresses all the time. We pray for these people, folks, okay? They're just in bondage. Like Jesus said, they know not what they do. I haven't seen her in four years. I don't know what happened to her. Go ahead. Uh, my prayer was, Lord, what can I do to point people to you? We've got to get them into the Word of God. They need to read the New Testament. Uh, it started with me in Jerusalem. This is me in Jerusalem in 1996. And I started making Hebrew New Testaments available. It was so successful that I took it to the Bay Area. Go ahead. It's me and my wife. We uh, had free English and Spanish New Testaments in San Francisco for three years. In three years, 21,000 people came and took a Bible. And it's not just taking a Bible. We minister to them, give the gospel verbally, pray for people. People get saved. Go ahead. Uh, and here we are now. This is the whole ministry magnified to its fullest at Venice Beach. We have a free Bibles table with English, Spanish, Hebrew New Testaments. We wave the Israeli flag to let Jews know it's a safe place. I have a ministry team of Jews and Gentiles that join me, and we have a blast out there. All day long, people are coming to our table to get the gospel and get the word of, word of God. Go ahead. It's a picture of our table, which, by the way, got busted up a month ago. We got attacked by a demoniac, and that's a whole story. You got to get the praise reports. Uh, but thankfully, nobody was hurt, and uh, we got a new table. We needed a new table anyways. <laughs> Go ahead. 
it's a seed sowing ministry. We want to sow seed, the word of God, into fertile soil. Go ahead. And we do that. We, we go to battle at Venice. We take our shofars and we always pray that the Lord go before us. This is an authentic ram's horn from Jerusalem. This is what my people blew throughout the Bible, especially when the walls of Jericho came down. And my people were commanded, Moses and Joshua, before they went into the promised land, that when they got attacked, blow the trumpet and the Lord would remember you and fight for you. And that's what we stand on. It comes out of Numbers chapter 10. I'm going to blow this and pray for a royal grande. Father, in the name of Jesus, as I blow this trumpet, remember us. And I pray the enemy would uh, be rendered useless in a royal grande. Lord, he is not allowed here. I declare a royal grande part of the kingdom of God, and the enemy is not welcome here. And as I blow this shofar, render him useless, judge him early, send him to the pit. Do not let him function in a royal grande. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, all right. We're with you, and then we'll uh, worship as well. But um, if you want to support what Cyril is doing, um, you can make a check out to Jew, uh, JOI, uh, Jewish Outreach International. Um, you just make the check out to JOI. You can drop it off at his table back there, and uh, that'd be great. So we're just going to pray for him, pray for what he's doing, and, and uh, we'll... we'll finish up here. Lord, we're so grateful for Cyril and for his ministry, Lord. You've placed him in uh, difficult areas to share your word, Lord, with people who are lost just like all of us once were. So we just pray that um, as he continues his ministry, just uh, add to it, Lord. We pray that he would have favor in the hearts of people who he speaks with, um, and, and the others that are in the ministry as well, Lord. We just trust you, and we, we uh, are so grateful. We're so blessed by his ministry, and we just ask that that would um, just continue on as he um, continues fighting for your kingdom, Lord. Just pray that more souls will be added than ever before, and uh, we're just so grateful for what he's doing. Just bless him, bless him, bless him, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I add a quick thing? Um, amen. One more thing is... Um, uh, just the statistics of how effective we are at Venice Beach. On any given year, we're seeing 2,100 people come and take a New Testament. We're seeing 2,800 people coming and getting the gospel verbally. We're getting over 100 salvations a year, Jews and Gentiles. Israelis love Venice Beach, and they flock there. And we get 12 to 24 Israelis coming to our table every day that we're out there. And they're getting the gospel. They're getting the word of God. A lot is happening, folks. I could be here all day giving you praise reports. Like I said, sign up in the back. That'll put you in the trenches of this intense frontline ministry. Also, if you came today and you, weren't, you didn't come prepared to give, we can take credit cards, Zelle, and Venmo in the back table. So come and see us afterwards. That's me and Jesus. It's been... It's been a joy sharing with all of you. As we say in Hebrew, as Jesus said often in the Bible, Shalom Alechem, peace be unto you. God bless you.